0: Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. haven't yet met, my name's Jeff Parker, and I get to serve here on staff at City Bridge, and what a privilege that is, and what a privilege it is to get to be in Hebrews 9 this morning. And so you can turn there now, and uh, before we kind of dive in and read, I'm going to set up our time by telling you something about my dad. So, uh, in the last kind of seven or eight years, my dad has said, hey, I only want one Christmas gift from you and your sister. Every year, this is it, that's all you want, I just want one gift and that one gift is I want you all to come out in the spring and we're gonna go over my will and we're gonna just look at the inheritance that is awaiting you. And so that's like literally all he wants. And so my sister and I were good children. And, and so it's like, all right, we'll, we'll do that. And uh, we haven't done this year's spring trip, but we are also good children in that we do get him some other gifts other than that. But each year we kind of go out and my dad like l- reminds us of some of the different things that uh, he wants to pass on down to us. So a couple things about my dad that is helpful is to know is that he's a, he uh, grew up on on a farm uh, and there's a farm in Marshall that's been in our family for about 125, 130 years on this farm. There's some cattle. Uh, and so I don't know what credit you give me for for knowing my kind of herd of cattle and kind of the different uh, breeds and different things, but Give me a little bit of credit. I know maybe more than you might think I know because each spring I go out there and my dad kind of walks me through. All right, well, this type is worth this and da, 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 da. And so I know a little bit about cattle thanks to my dad and each spring I get reminded of it. My dad's a farmer and he's also an accountant. And so he has some clients and he wants me to know about each of the clients and he wants me to know about the tax code that's involved in each of his clients' things. And I'm like, I'm a former accountant and don't give me any credit. I don't know the tax code, I don't wanna know the tax code, and I still don't know the tax code. So my dad's a farmer, he's an accountant, and he also collects exotic arrowheads. So uh, you might go, I've never had one, never even, kind of held one. Well, we have hundreds, if not thousands of arrowheads and he knows the story behind each one. I mean, he'll just be rattling them off each spring. He'll go, well, this one found at so-and-so's farm. It's probably not worth a lot, but you need to know about it, special to me. He's going about this one, bought this one here, bought this one here, that one's worth $2,000. This one, you're like, wait, wait, dad, there's a $2,000 arrowhead in the house. What are we doing? I might've thrown that in a 50 cent grab bag one day. And so my dad's got all these different things kind of uh, in his will that he's like, I want this to be yours and your sister's. And he wants and keeps reminding us each and every year. Now, I don't share that story to kind of talk or brag about some earthly inheritance, but uh, we are in a section of Hebrews, both chapters eight, nine, and 10, where we are talking about wills today. We're talking about covenant. We're talking about death and, 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 and those things. And so it's this kind of lead in to that discussion. Now, uh, as we've talked about Hebrews eight, nine, and 10, there's, uh, there's it's just this picture that I want us to have that the pastor is painting. It's a beautiful build of just how incredible the new covenant truly is and the inheritance that awaits that we both have today and that we have tomorrow under this new covenant. And it is a beautiful picture. And it's why the whole section starts with, in Hebrews eight, verse six, that it says, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises we are in this section of Hebrews 8 9 and 10 and it's a beautiful mosaic and each week we're kind of sliding out a tile and we're taking a look at it but for just a second before we dive into Hebrews 9 15 through 22 I want to remind you of the beauty of the mosaic and so here's what the pastor's doing kind of in these three chapters in particular is he's comparing the Old Covenant with the New Covenant and 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 each time he's kind of kind of comparing our axis and who mediates and and how How effective is the sacrifice? And where's the sanctuary? And he's kind of weaving these in and out. Chapters eight, nine, and 10, weaving, going back and forth because he wants us to get the beautiful whole picture that is the new covenant. And as you kind of look up there as a quick summary is the old covenant, the one that we read in in, in the Old Testament about Moses, it was founded on kind of seemingly endless animal sacrifice. And And with that, it allowed for one person to have access to God one day a year, which is really to say the Mosaic covenant, the, the old covenant, uh, didn't allow anyone continual access to God. But Jesus has ushered in a new covenant, one that allows any of God's people to come to him 24 four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And it's why our tagline, I think, just gets kind of sweeter and sweeter, that Jesus is better. And so we don't have to drift away, we can draw near to him. And just this picture of 24/7, 365 day access, it's this reminder of even if we've slipped up in the last day or two or three, we can go immediately to our Father. We can go immediately to our Father through the Son and have forgiveness right then and there. We don't have to wait for one special day. Or maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe you're going through a storm. You can go to the Father through the Son and have immediate strength to be renewed for, to be refreshed and ready for the battle. It's a beautiful mosaic that the pastor is covering. And he's pulling out a tile. And the tile that we're going to look at today is Hebrews 9, uh, verses 15 through 22. And as I already talked about, this, this section's going to cover wills and it's going to talk about covenants, it's going to cover blood, and it's going to cover sin. And at first blush, you might be kind of go, what's in it, what, what's the truth here that I can kind of pull into my heart and kind of rest in? And it may be hard at first, but we're going to dig into it and see what the Lord has for us this morning. And so let me read verse 15, and and it starts with therefore. And so just as a quick reminder of what Derek captured for us last week. Derek captured and reminded us through the pastor's own words that that the Old Testament sacrifices, they couldn't, as verse nine says, couldn't purify the conscience of the worshiper. But Christ's blood is effective, and he has secured our eternal redemption, it says in verse 12. And it can purify our conscience, as it says in verse 14. And so when he says, therefore, in verse 15, that's what he's referring to. Now let's read the text. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, Maybe it's a fair question, maybe you're asking it as you listen to it, as you read it up on the screen, just as going, okay, so, so what does that mean for me today? Well, just like our friends who lived during the Old Testament times, we too need to have our conscience cleaned. We too need to be transformed from the inside out. And we know well that, that, that sin often does its best work on the inside. I know for for some of us, we can often think of sin as kind of those one or two or three things that we kind of trips us up or kind of a ditch that we kind of fall into from time to time and we're prone to think, man, if I can just kind of control those two or three or four behaviors, then I'm gonna be right before the Lord. But as we jump in deeper into the text, let me just remind you out out of the gate that sin comes in all shapes and sizes. There's big sins and there's little sins. There's sins of omission, there's sins of commission, there's sins that we willfully perpetuate, and then there's some sins that we're completely ignorant of. There's external sins, and then there's also those internal sins, selfish motives lustful thoughts, greedy attitudes, any number of other behaviors on the inside that erode our relationship with God. There's past sins, there's present sins, and there's future sins. And so think about just even in the last 72 hours, how are you doing? (laughs) When you start to define sin in all of its different shapes and sizes and you consider some of the work that it does on the inside, how are you doing just even in the last 72 hours? And if you think you're crushing it, let me just use Paul's words to drive it home even further. He says in Romans 14, 23, that, he, that says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so friends, we are in desperate need of the forgiveness of all of our sins. Jeremiah said in, in, uh, in, in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart is desperately sick. It's wicked Above all things, our heart is. And it's why Paul kind of crescendos in Romans 7, verse 24, just saying, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? He's crescendoing, overwhelmed at the way sin affects him and eats away at him. And then in verse 25, he comes back and says, but thanks be to God for our Savior Jesus Christ. Friends, we're not talking about Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 is not about bulls and goats and calves and Old Testament sacrifices in a temple. It is about the one true hero, Jesus Christ, and he's shining a spotlight on him for us. And in no way does he disparage that which came first, but he's using it as an opportunity to shift the spotlight to Christ and the covenant that he ushers in today, and he doesn't want us to miss it. And so that's what's in front of us, to shine a bright spotlight on the one hero, Jesus. And so let's, let, let's dig in. We're gonna move through this passage in a, a couple of ways. I wanna give you up front, we're gonna spend kind of a bulk of our time in, in verse 15 because I think it's the main idea. It's the, the main thing that the author's both been building to and it's where he's going to go from here in the next few verses. It's like a linchpin verse here in Hebrews nine, verse fifteen. And then we're going to kind of unpack verses sixteen through twenty-two uh, a little bit all at once, just kind of going, the, the just kind of unpacking the relationship between covenants and blood. When we're going to look at that in verses sixteen through twenty-two, and then we're going to come back and go, what does that all mean for you and me today? So that's going to be our movements. Let's dive in. To verse 15. It says, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. It's his big idea, it's his main theme here. So let's unpack it a little bit at a time. Therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator. That means he's a reconciler between two parties that maybe have reason to to kind of be alienated from one another. Holy God, sinful man, Christ in the middle as the mediator reconciling us. And he is the mediator of a new covenant. And we've been reading uh, in, in, in Hebrews 8 that the old covenant had a fault. We talked about it. it couldn't purify the heart of the worship, worshiper. So it had a fault. It couldn't get to the inside. It could only clean the outside. And it's why the pastor went to, to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 and quoted the prophet and said, but hey, there is a new covenant that is coming. God spoke through the prophet and said, I'm gonna, and this covenant, I'm going to write on the inside. And it is going to purify the inside and I'm gonna write it on their hearts, I'm gonna put the law in their minds, and I'm gonna to get to the inside. This is the new covenant that now Christ has ushered in. And, and, and maybe it kind of begs the question, was the old covenant a mistake? Some of the things that we read about God doing in, in Exodus with the 10 commandments and some of the other regulations and laws, the 613 that God was putting in place for his people, was that a mistake? By no means, by no means was it a mistake. It's true that the old covenant couldn't purify the heart, but it could reveal the true nature of the heart. And in doing so, in revealing the true nature of our heart, it was fulfilling a God-given intent. It was revealing the wound that mankind had so that we might long for the cure. It's an adage that if you can't see the wound, you won't long for the cure. And so let me kind of unpack this in a a way that may make you a little uncomfortable, but I've talked about it before, so we're gonna go there again. So I I think I've shared about my kidney stone struggles here before, sorry, we're there again. But um, I've had it for kind of like three decades and about eight or nine years in, I won't tell you how, or I won't tell you why, but we were able to start kind of zeroing in on what was the actual wound that was leading to the kidney stones. And, and so the doctors kind of brought me in. He goes, all right, we're, we're, we're zoning in here. I've got some questions for you. And his first question was, do you drink like lots of milk at night? And I'm like, no, I don't drink milk. He goes, lattes, you drink lattes, don't you? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't. He goes, do you eat like bulls, full of ice cream? And I was like, does bluebell count, you know? And he goes, do do you eat queso? And I'm like, oh, yes, I eat queso. Everyone eats queso. And he goes, well, there's your wound. Gotta cut dairy out. We see the wound now. If you want the cure, it's dairy free. That's been a struggle, but at least I've seen the wound. But that's what the Mosaic Law was doing. It was meant to help people see the wound that they had so that they would long for the ultimate cure, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate high priest. That's what's happening. And Jesus is now the mediator of the cure. He's the mediator of the the new covenant. And that condemnation that the old covenant revealed in them, Jesus, it says, is able to remove that condemnation that the old revealed Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He pulls it out. And not only does he do that, in its stead, this heart of stone, he replaces with the heart of flesh and he purifies us and makes us entirely new, entirely clean. Jesus is a mediator of the new covenant. And so for you today, it's a reminder if you're in Christ, you and I are gonna stumble. And every time we redefile our heart, sometimes our, our kind of first reaction is, oh gosh, I can't draw near, I can't draw near. I'll, I'll have to do something on my own. But this is a reminder, no, 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 no. We can go immediately to the throne room. And Jesus as high priest is able to repurify and make us clean again. Christ is going, that's what I do. And so return Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that, listen, those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. In verse 12, he talks about how Christ secured an eternal redemption and that eternal redemption leads to an eternal inheritance. Here in verse 15, it's this big picture idea of when God delivers someone, he always gives an inheritance. He always gives an inheritance. When he delivered the Israelites out of physical bondage in Egypt, He gave them an inheritance. He gave them a land, the promised land, Canaan. It's part of their inheritance. It's going, hey, you're going to go there. You're going to get an inheritance. Now, you and I aren't in a physical bondage in Egypt. In many ways, we're in something far, far worse. We're in spiritual bondage to sin. Our very souls are kind of born in prison, and we need to be redeemed And Christ comes and delivers that and gives us a promise, eternal inheritance. And so when we've been, if you've been rescued, you're pulled out of spiritual bondage and you too are given a land. It's a heavenly homeland. It's the heavenly Canaan. And we're gonna have a ball with it in in Hebrews 11, talking about it. But the eternal inheritance is also here and now today. Remember, he takes out that heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, and all of a sudden you get to walk with him and there's joy now amidst the pain. There's strength amidst the trial. And that's part of the eternal inheritance that we get here and now when we experience and when we are redeemed, when we are called, it says. It says, since a death singular has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. There's a couple of commentators that will go, all right, now he's transitioning into the Old Testament, but most commentators, and what we're gonna focus on today is that word, a death, it's singular. It's not referring to multiple Old Testament sacrifices. This is referring to the one sacrifice that Christ did once for all. And what it did was it redeemed us from the transgressions that the first covenant exposes in all of us. One sacrifice. Past, present, future sins, paid for. Sins of omission, sins of commission, paid for. External sins, paid for. Internal, all that stuff that brews up in here, paid for. The sins that you, that you thought, ah, no one needs to know about that. I'm taking that one to the grave. Paid for if you are in Christ. Any region graduates or kind of, people currently going through in the room this morning? Any? Okay. It's all right. I know sometimes it's not cool to identify, but I, I, it's, it's such a, an important um, discipleship program that we have here. I want to remind you, it is a 12-step biblically-based discipleship to follow Christ, and the steps are found straight in scripture. It's not some man-made formula. It's right here in God's word. And step four that we talk about is inventory. It's like the step that kind of everyone bristles at a little bit. Even on Tuesday nights when, when we meet about it, you hear the word inventory and everyone's, it's like the kind of that word that gets everyone kind of squirming a little bit. But in step four inventory, the the goal of it is to create a fearless moral inventory, a list remembering and working through all the hurts, habits, and hangups of our lives, some of the harms that we've done and, and some of the harms done to us. And it's a step where you look into the mirror. It's like you identify the wound, so to speak, of what you have perpetuated. And it's a little bit of a scary step at first. But on the other end of it, there's some freedom that awaits The next step makes people kind of squirm a little bit too, it's step five, confess. And the goal of this step is to confess to God and to another human being the exact nature of your sin. It's to work through your inventory. That kind of sounds even scarier in some ways, but man, it's so freeing. I remember the first time that, that uh, I worked through my inventory with my community group. This was about seven or eight years ago. And I remember in the list, and it took a while. It was a couple, two, three hours of, of kind of sharing some of it. And I remember my friend David, at, when I was done, just go, Jeff, it's all been paid for. And just the weight, and all of a sudden, it's just like, oh. And we sat around, and we just celebrated. You know who the hero in that story is? It's Jesus. That's right, God. Way to go, buddy. That's the hero of the story. And we sat around, and we sang songs, and we prayed, and we thanked God. And I won't identify any in the room. I haven't actually made eye contact with anyone yet, but I've sat in the same room with some of you when we've gone through those steps. And each time we sit there and marvel, don't we going, oh my gosh, Jesus is an incredible hero. And what he has redeemed us from the transgressions, every time I do it, my view of the cross just grows bigger and bigger. My appreciation of the cross grows bigger and bigger because he's redeemed us from those things. Paul says in Romans five, where sin increased, Fear in Christ, grace abounded all the more. It super abounds. It's the new covenant. Now, Pastor is going to kind of get into how covenants are put into effect, and so it's a it's a good question. It's a question that I think our our pastors' audience would have known: is how do we know that the new covenant is truly in effect? How do we know? How can we be sure? Now, remember, our Hebrews pastor, we've mentioned this, but it's been a few weeks. Our Hebrews pastor is writing a group of weary messianic Jews, largely. These are Jewish friends that have followed the Old Testament ways for a while, but all of a sudden the scales have dropped off and they've recognized Jesus as the Messiah, the cure, the one that has come to redeem them from their sins. And their lives have been changed, but they're being persecuted for their beliefs and they're struggling to persevere in the face of that. And as they persevere, or as they struggle to, they start to kind of look over their shoulder going, are we sure we have it right? Is this really it? Did we already have it right with the old covenant, with the temple and the, and the sacrifices and, and the high priest there? Did, did we have it right? And they're kind of looking back, they're looking back and the pastor's going, no, no, no. And it's brilliant, it's masterful. It's the work of the Holy Spirit through them. He's gonna take that which they recognize still and he's gonna use it to turn the spotlight on that which is now in effect today. He's going to use all of those things and go, hey, no, 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 I'm going to point you to Jesus. He's not disparaging anything about the old covenant. He's using it all masterfully to go, this is the new covenant. Do you see it? That points to Jesus. That points to Jesus. That points to Jesus. That's what he is in the process of doing. Now, you and I aren't, no, we've talked about this. You and I maybe aren't tempted to go back to Old Testament ways. But how many of us, Kind of in different moments where Christ has rescued us, we've gone, man, I'm not changing. No way I'm going back. I'm marching straight ahead. My life now belongs to you, Jesus. I'm gonna walk by faith and I'm marching ahead, whatever you tell me. And then a month passes, a year passes, a decade passes, and maybe an old habit, an old desire flares up. Maybe an old sin, you stumble in. And all of a sudden you're like, is that really the best way? Is that really the direction I need to go in my life and then all of a sudden we start to revert back to old ways. This is a really important question in God, that about how do we know that the new covenant is truly in effect because when we lock in on it, I think it changes everything and so he's locking in and so let's, let's read these verses together. Verse, 15, verse 16, he's gonna lock us into how do we know something new has come? For where a will is involved, he writes, the death of the one who made it must be established for a will takes effect only at death since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Now you read those two verses and that's an that's a example that makes a lot of sense to us. For a, for a will to go into effect for the beneficiaries, the person who made the will must die. That's what we know to be true. Right For my sister and I to have a really cool arrowhead collection, my dad must pass away. and Now, thankfully, I don't own that arrowhead collection yet because I'd rather have my dad than some, some arrowheads. And I say that because that's absolutely true, and it's a reminder to me I've been grateful for the extra time that I've had with my dad because I've struggled to know where he stands in trusting in Christ. And like sometimes, I guess like sometimes like family sometimes is the hardest to share with. I don't know if that's just me or if that's you, but like I've come close to entering into conversations before in the past with my dad and every now and then we'll kind of wade into those tender waters. And I've heard my dad on multiple occasions go, well, I'm pretty confident I'm going to heaven because man, some of the good things I've done in my life for sure outweigh some of the bad things. And if I had a hunch, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that line of thinking is, goes through even your head at times. And as my dad said it, it's like, oh, this is a tee-up. This is my chance to lean in. And yet sometimes it's the hardest. I don't know to kind of ask that next question or two, at least for me with my dad. And on a couple of occasions... We've gotten close, but I've let the conversation end there. I've missed out on asking the next question. And so I've been grateful for extra time to lean in and converse with my dad. But we got to keep moving on. Verse 18, it says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people." So if you were reading along in our reading plan, this is gonna be in Exodus 24. What the, the pastor is saying is here, hey, God took Moses up to Mount Sinai. He gives them the 10 commandments in Exodus 20. There's a lot of other regulations and laws that follow in the next couple chapters. And then Moses comes off and it's time to put the old covenant Mosaic law into effect. And in order to inaugurate it, blood is shed. In this instance, it's the blood of calves and goats. And then in verse 20, Moses says this, and from Exodus 24, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The main idea of these six verses is the pastor's going, just like wills are enacted through a death, so too are the covenants of God inaugurated with blood. Now blood is gonna show up a lot here in Hebrews nine, 10, 11, 12. We've hardly even seen the word for the first eight chapters and all of a sudden it's about to show up in your Bible about 20 times. So we're gonna be speaking about it a lot. And at the end of verse 22, the, the pastor's really quoting something from Leviticus 17. So let's just explain this super quick that it says without the shedding of blood in God's economy, there's no forgiveness of sins. Why is that? Well, as Leviticus 17 tells us, there's life in the blood. And so when blood is shed, life goes out. And it means that a death has occurred. And so when it says the blood, it is the blood is ultimately symbolic that death, has occurred. And what he's saying here in these verses is that for the benefits and promised inheritance of Israel to go into effect with the Old Covenant, blood had to be shed. And in fact, all throughout the Old Covenant for that forgiveness to continue because the Old Covenant had a fault and that it was revealing wound, but it couldn't permanently take away the sins of man. More and more blood had to be shed. Now Why? Is that such a big deal for us? He's he's locking in with his people. He's making a picture, there's a beautiful mosaic and we're looking at one tile. But just like the Old Testament was inaugurated with blood, so too with the New Testament. Verse 20. Says this, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. This is Moses saying, Old covenant, he didn't, it is it, it, being inaugurated with blood in your margins. You may have this or you need to write it. Write Matthew 26, 28. Just as Moses said, This is the blood of the covenant, it sounds an awful bit like Jesus the night that he was betrayed. When he said, This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many, for what? For the forgiveness of sins. He's going the old covenant inaugurated with blood and y'all heard it from Jesus's mouth. You've heard others attest to it. He said, this is my blood and it's a blood for this covenant that has been prophesied for a long time and it's here and it's come. And so one of the things I like to do is every now and then when there's a great truth in scripture, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Every now and then I'll do the inverse of it just to lock it into my head a little bit. And in this instance, with the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness of sins. Specifically with the shedding of Christ's blood, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. And I love that. Sometimes I fill in that blank with like this, with church attendance, is there forgiveness of sins? Or with behavior modification, is there forgiveness of sins? No. With the shed blood of Christ, there's forgiveness of sins. We can't clean ourselves up enough. But there is something that can clean you. The blood of Christ. And it took his death. And this is how Jesus inaugurated the new Covenant, this is the beautiful mosaic that the pastor is painting for us. And so if Jesus is better, if his blood is better, if the covenant's better, if he's the better high priest, this is staggering news for you and me today. We now know with clarity what the old saints could only long for, that truly all of their sins are now forgiven. That sin that you did a long, long time ago, that still produces guilt and shame in your life today, it's been paid for. The sins that you're still stuck in today or that you committed in haste yesterday or the day before or even on the way here, it's been paid for if you're in Christ. The external ones, yes, all of those fleshly desires, those selfish motives, those evil attitudes, those greedy behaviors, it's all been paid for if you're in Christ. Even that thing, a believer that you're like, I'm taking this one to the grave, I don't want anyone to know about that. Christ has paid for that. So you don't have to make any commitment about taking anything to the grave. Christ has already taken them to the grave on your behalf, believer. And so if you are clean, believer, before holy God, what do you have to fear with man? What could man possibly do to you that would change your standing? Christ has declared you righteous before him. Man can't do anything. And so when God, when Christ instructs you, when James instructs you in James five to go, okay, believer stuck in sin, got something to confess, Take it to another human being and confess so that my people can walk with you, be praying for you. You don't have to fear what man can do in that instance. You get to follow through on what God commands you to do now that you know you're forgiven. So you don't have to hold on to anything. You can even confess that which is on the inside that no one could ever see unless you will willingly bring it forth and go, this is what I'm struggling with and that's what as believers we're called to do and you are free to do it. Scripture says in in, in Galatians 5 that for freedom's sake, you've been set free. You're meant to be free, to live free so that you can walk by faith, that you can stand firm, that you can persevere, that you can walk by his ways which bring life. You're free to do that and to persevere no matter what comes your way. That's the power that the blood of Christ has purchased on our behalf. And not only that, but because of Christ's resurrection, we also have him today. Not only do we get all the benefits of his death, we also get the benefits of his life resurrected. You get him in the heavenlies mediating and interceding on our behalf. You get him with his spirit in us, enabling us to walk his ways. It is stunning, stunning news. And I'm stepping on next week's message. So come back. But it's why the author says, at the end of this beautiful mosaic that is Hebrews 8, 9, and 10 in verse 22. So let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How is that possible? How could that be true? Answered the blood of Christ. So let us hold fast the confession, stand firm, walk by faith with, of, of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. It's the call that's before us. One of the good works that the Lord stirred up in me a couple of years ago was to fully finally pursue my dad. And uh, one of the ways that he had me do it was I kind of flipped the equation on my dad. A couple of years ago I said, all right dad, I only want one gift from you for this Christmas and it's in the mail, and here's what we're gonna do. So uh, we mailed him a Daily Walk NLT Bible and sent it to him. I said, all I want for Christmas is let's read this together and whatever you're learning. Let's talk about whatever questions you have. We'll talk about whatever questions I have. Let's talk about it. And for a year, we just had incredibly rich conversation. I can remember talks from Matthew and Luke and other places in scripture, so rich. We always, it's like we default to rangers and stock market. And for a year we got to just default to scripture. It was phenomenal. About a year later, I had an opportunity to go on a seven day vacation with him, with my family and with him. and. Um, It was a great trip, and and, and I committed in that day that uh, I'm gonna spend as much time with him as possible. My dad likes to wake up at four in the morning. He's a farmer, you know, what can you do? And so I committed for seven days to wake up at that, I mean, I wanna say ungodly, but it was godly in that moment, right, hour. I actually woke up at 3.45 so I could put on the coffee so that I could stay awake for those hours, but it was an incredible, rich time, almost 20 hours of convo with my dad. And on about day four or five, I mean, never had this conversation with him. He kind of was just being open and authentic, and he just said, you know, I wish I would have been more present for your mom. He said, I think I gave my best to work and I didn't have a whole lot left over for her. He so said, it's one of the big sins in my life. And we lingered there for a little bit, and he's like, you know, and I, I fear that that's true for how I loved you and your sister, and he's like, I carry that around with me, and we talked about big sins, we talked about little sins, I shared some of mine, and we talked about all those things, and on that day, I finally asked the question that I should have asked 30 years ago. And there's lots of questions you could ask, but I just was like, how do you know, dad, that you, if you died tonight, you'd be in heaven? Or do you know that you would be? And he said, absolutely, 100% sure. And it kind of surprised me. I was like, really? I said, how do you know? And he looked at me and I wrote it down and I'll read that so I don't forget. But he just said, I've come to believe in Jesus. And because of Christ's blood shed on the cross, God has forgiven me of all my sins and so I trust in Jesus I think in some ways that's really the only inheritance I ever wanted from my dad is to know that he knew where life is found who's the hero of that story Jesus and his bloodshed you know my heart man I don't know if this is true for you sometimes my heart grows cold to to the gospel I don't know why from time to time like who can deliver me from that And my heart grows cold and and numb to it. And one of the best ways, one of the best ways I've found to thaw my heart is to go meet with people right where they're at. Listen, ask questions, sometimes even that awkward question and see what God chooses to do in that moment. And all I'm really doing is getting to talk about their hero with them, whether they know it or not. And sometimes I guess it doesn't go great, but there's other times if you do it enough, you'll get a front row seat to the gospel and its power in someone else. And it kicks on again something in your heart that's afresh and anew. And you're ready for more. It's a truth that changes everything. With the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness of sins. That changes everything. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.